what we can do when we walk in unity. Like, see, we built this new building for God to fill with his children. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Anybody excited about the word this morning? All right. All right. Don't don't die out on me now. Let's just pray real quick. Can we just lift our arms and say, Father, Father, we just ask you right now, God, for your mercy, for your grace. Father, just like there was a, a breakthrough during the worship for some, Father, I pray that through, through the word there would be a breakthrough for others today, Lord God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy. God, help it to, to, to dig deep today, to plant somewhere, to get planted, God, that it may grow and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Get your tweeters and twitters out. You ready? Well, no, no. I got a long one and then a short one. So here's, here's, here's the long one. You don't have to try to write this one down. Here's the quote this morning from C.S. Lewis. Check this out. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Here's one you can tweet. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. I want to talk to you this morning about being an example, about living that example. As I share a message in our series through the book of 1 Corinthians titled, Now that we found love. Thank you, Heavy D, for the sermon title. I pray you found peace with God because you left too young. Amen? So, all right, Gary dropped it last week in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to just go right back to chapter 4 because Paul dropped such a heavy line in there and that, that we have to build on that. Amen? So, right, right in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you can open your Bibles and be there so you, you know I'm not making some of this up because it's going to get crazy. Amen? So he, he, he gets crazy in here. He calls the, he calls the Christians in Corinth, he calls them his beloved children. Remember, he's writing this letter to bring correction, to bring admonition, to bring, you know, to, to make things right, to establish some things, to fix some things. And, but he calls them beloved children. He says there a beautiful line in there. He says, you'll have countless leaders and there'll be countless guides. There'll be many people ready to tell you what to do and where to go, but there will not be many fathers. So Paul is painting this picture for them, and I've preached these, this message from here uh, probably a dozen times when I was, you know, when I used to preach uh, topical messages because I, I love this message. Paul says, "I'm a spiritual father to you." So I'm coming to you as a father, and then he drops in verse four sixteen. He says, "I urge you then imitate me." Now th- that is radical. He says, imitate me. 
And then later on in, in chapter 11, verse 1, he'll say it again. He'll say, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. See, in one way, he was asserting his authority over them. He's like, I'm like a father. You understand? I'm like a father. But at the same point, he's submitting to them. He says, I'm like a father to you. I wouldn't ask you to do something that I'm not already doing. Amen? See, I believe the church then, as well as the church today, is scared of this imagery. Say why? Good question. See, the church then thought that they were better and smarter than Paul. So, so they, they hid behind their arrogance. The church today doesn't think that we're good enough. So we hide behind false humility. We, we say, don't follow me, I'm a mess. Anybody been guilty? Right? You tell people, oh, don't, don't, you know, don't look at me, you know, keep your eyes on Jesus, don't look to me, I'm still messed up. Right? Don't, don't follow me. Don't imitate me. I still make mistakes. But family, can you understand that if they don't see it in us, the church in the city, where are they going to see it? I, I mean, I hope, I hope this comes like a bat to the, to the temple. If they don't see it in us, if, if we're sidestepping and saying, no, don't follow me, man, you know, keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> With our Christian t-shirts and our Christian tattoos and, and right? Not me, I'm a mess, I'm still messing up. If they don't see it in us, where are they going to see it? On Oprah? On the life? Uh, to, uh, don't even get me started on that. Where are they going to see it, right? If, have you been to the bookstores lately in Barnes & Noble? There's entire sections of self-help junk. Entire sections. Why? Because people are buying. Because people need that. Because people are looking to improve themselves, to be better, to be, to be, right, to be more, to get more out of it, to find more potential in them. So, so there's hundreds and hundreds of books written on this because people need that. People are looking, but the church is sidestepping saying, don't follow me. And so they're in Barnes and Noble buying books by witches and demons and whatever, right? See, family, that's not humility, that's cowardice. Welcome, my new visitors. God bless you. (laughs) I'm really a very loving guy, I promise. But sometimes we pretend we're humble Christians when we're really Christian cowards. And all we're saying with, with, with that, you know, don't follow me, I'm not perfect, I'm still messed up, don't, you know, uh, I still get make mistakes. All we're saying with that is, listen, uh, I don't want the responsibility of being your mentor. I, I, I don't want the, the, if you're looking for a father figure, I'm not him. Like, go to George Michael. Only people in the 80s got that. Why? Why do we say that? Because if you follow me, you're going to force me to walk different. Isn't that the truth? If you find, if I know that you're following me, now I got to watch everything I do. Now I got to watch everything I say. Right? If you, you're going to force me, and the truth is, I don't always want to have to try to do the right thing. So I'd rather you didn't follow me. Anybody felt that way? 
Listen, true story. The other day, a couple of weeks ago, we had a marriage retreat, right? <laughs> so we met here in the front, right? And we were going to drive. It's about an hour. And, and it's about an hour trip, a little less than an hour. It's a nice little drive. But we gathered here about four or five cars and we're going to head off, right? And my wife turns to me and she goes, okay, pull up to the front and lead. I had had a long day at work. It had been a rough week at work. And, and, and so I, I told her, you know, come on, there's four or five cars here. Everybody, everybody got a GPS in their car. Why? Why I gotta lead? I'm tired. I worked all day. I, I worked all week. It's been a hard now. I gotta go right to a marriage retreat. I got no, no breaks, no, no rest this weekend. Guess what? As soon as the marriage retreat is over, I'm driving right to Sunday church, right? No rest, no break. Sunday church, I, I, I get to start this all over Monday morning, right? Another full-time job Monday morning. Like I, I was ready to, I was just dumping, right? I said, why? I, you know, I don't wanna lead. I, I, I just, I just, I just don't want to lead right now. Anybody ever felt that way? Long story short, we get lost. <laughs> we, we're in Jersey. We turn around. We're facing the wrong way. The group gets divided. One, one car ended up back in the city. Had to come all the way back. We, we, you know, it, and then what happened? My wife gives me that look. Husbands, you know that look, right? If, if you had listened to me, maybe, right? Maybe if you... So, so those of you that were on the marriage retreat, it, it wasn't the person that led, it wasn't the GPS, it was my fault. It was my fault. So let's learn something from it real quick. When we don't lead, when we're supposed to, people get lost. Groups get divided. And it takes us longer to get to the place where we should have been. When we don't lead, say amen. amen. See, when you don't lead, it affects more than just you. Oh, this is a spiritual batazo. <laughs> when, when you don't lead, you end up following. And that will usually lead to detours, delays, distractions, and deferred destinations. Put that in your Twitter and smoke it. <laughs> Paul is saying, Paul is demonstrating the attitude of a leader, the attitude of a father, the attitude of a believer even. Paul is saying, come on. I'm not going to get everything right. Don't get it twisted. But, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping Jesus in my sight. So come on, follow me. Paul is saying, come on, I'm not always going to make the right decisions, but, but trust me, I'm, I'm heading in the right direction. Paul, Paul is saying, come on, I might stumble, I might fall, I might make mistakes, but guess what? The word says in Ecclesiastes 4.7 that two are better than one, because when one falls, there'll be another one there to help them up. So, 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 so check it out. If, if you follow me without judgment, then, then maybe we'll stand a better chance of actually making it. Then if you didn't follow me and we both went there on our own. Because the word says if I fall, you'll be there to pick me up. And then after you've picked me up and I'm encouraged and we keep going, then if you fall, I'll be there to pick you up. And together the word says a cord of three cords is not easily broken. So, so turn to somebody and say, you, me, and God, we're we going to get there. Amen? We're going to get there. 
So imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and he ends chapter 4. You got to turn there. He ends chapter 4, Paul, like a true Bronx hood rat. Serious. Look at your Bibles. Let me give you my version. But, but check to make sure I'm not stretching. He says, he's talking to them. He says, some of you are talking a lot of trash. Some of you talking a lot of junk. Right? And then he says, how is it that you guys can live the way you're living right now and still be so arrogant? And, and then here's, here's where he gets hood rat. He says, now when I come, we're going to see. I don't want to hear your words. I want to see you walking in power. Because he says in verse 20, the kingdom of God is not about talk. It's not about words. It's about living an empowered life. And so he ends it this way. So you decide how you want me to step to you, with a rod or with love. That's not gangster right there. He says, can I bring correction with words in gentleness like the Father? Or do I have to bring it with the rod, with correction and with punishment? And the, the truth is, church, we have the same choice today, don't we? we? We can choose to come to God to accept His correction in love, to submit our lives to Him in, 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 in His grace and trust Him. Or we can be arrogant thinking, we know better, we got this. I keep doing it my way and, and, and it's good and as long as I show up on Sunday once or twice a month, I'm good. All God cares about is my money. As long as I send in a tithe, I'm good. And God don't really know what I make, so I just send a little bit of the tithe. I don't have to be a full tithe. You know, I'm not under the law, whatever, whatever, right? You figure that out with God. The truth is, listen, you know, we, we, we get to this thing where all we have to do is be better than the average person. We're good. And still call ourselves Christians. The truth is, one day every knee will bow and give an account for how we lived. And, and, and we can look at that day and say, man, God is harsh. God is cruel. How can this God of love one day reject all these people and dismiss them? But the, the, God gave us the same thing. Paul's just getting this from Jesus. God said, you can come to me as a loving father. And I'll, I'll open my arms with gentleness and grace and mercy. Or one day you can stand before me as a judge. You decide. Amen? So Paul is, is troubled by the arrogance of the church in the city. He's saying, how can you be so arrogant when you're living like the way you're living? When I'm getting the reports that, that, that the way that you guys, the things that you guys are doing is really making me crazy, how you guys can still be so spiritually arrogant. And so if you turn to chapter 5, he starts going in and he starts giving them examples of what's going on at the church. So uh, chapter 5 verse 1, he, he puts it this way. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, the church. He says, and, and the kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. So he says, you guys are, are doing sexual sins that even the non-Christians are, are not doing. You, you guys are in sin that even pagan people say, oh, that's sin. <laughs> can, can you imagine that today? Imagine that today, like, what, you're a Christian, we're in church, you're doing that? You're doing stuff that even people that are not Christians and not in church go, whoa, that's dirty. 
That's dirty. And, and here's the example. He says, there's a man, one of, one, of the, one of your men, one of your Christian men in your church is sleeping with his father's wife. So that fail, right? And, and then he says, and you're arrogant about it. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. This is serious now. Look, look what he's, how he's teaching the church. He calls them, he tells them, get rid of this guy. Get rid of the wickedness in your house. Hand him over to Satan. Is that rough? Is he saying now if there's a sinner in you, we should hand them over to the devil? Let's, let's kind of be crazy. Let's not get crazy about this, right? He's saying there's, there's, there's sin in the house. People that call themselves leaders, people that call themselves Christians, believers, and, and they're choosing to live a certain way. They're choosing to live against God's, God's, God's uh, um, you know, the way God designed for them. They're, they're choosing to live differently than what they're professing. He's saying, get them out. We can't accept that. Now, there's a different line between saying, you know, because then we get up here and preach, oh, come as you are, everybody's welcome in this church. And it's true. But we're saying when we're part of the body, then we're, we're to be judged. Right? The last chapter he was talking about that we're not supposed to be judging people. This chapter he's saying we're supposed to be judging people. And that, is that a contradiction? No, he's saying we, we judge ourselves. The body, the church has a responsibility to judge ourselves. To, to know if something's not right, we need to deal with it. We can't accept it. This is what's driving Paul crazy here. See, there's, there's a, if you're a part of a church, you're part of the covering. Do, do you understand that? Does some of you feel that? I know if you're new here, you might, you know, but, but when you're part of a church, when you become part of the church, you're part of the covering that's on that church. And there's a covering, there's a protection. And you could be in your funk, and you could be doing your things, and you're, you're still to an extent under the covering. Paul is saying, if somebody chooses to live that way, remove the covering from them. Out. Remove the covering. Hand them over to Satan. And what, and, but, but look at the end of the line there. He says, hand them over to Satan. Why? So that he can be saved. Isn't that crazy? Don't, don't, don't think like, you know, Satan's gonna save him. He's saying, when you remove that covering from him, sometimes people gotta hit bottom. Sometimes people gotta get totally cut off. Sometimes real love is a tough love. Ooh, that's a whole nother message, right? So, so just to kinda explain that a minute. So, he tells him in verse 6, your boasting is not good. How can you still be arrogant? Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? The message puts it this way so we can understand it a little better. It says, your flip and callous arrogance in these things bothers me. You pass it off as a small thing, but it's anything but. Yeast, too, is a small thing, but it works through a whole batch of bread dough pretty fast. So notice what's really weighing heavy on Paul here. Paul is definitely concerned with the seriousness of the man's sin, no doubt. He says you should throw him out. And then he ends the chapter with this in verse 9. He says, I told you before about making yourselves home among the sexually promiscuous. Listen, this is a pow pow. 
Verse 10, he says, I, I didn't mean that you should have nothing at all to do with outsiders of that sort or with crooks, whether blue collar or white collar or with spiritual phonies for that matter. And he says, if, if that were the case, you'd have to leave the world entirely. But he's saying, I am saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when one of your Christian companions is promiscuous or crooked or, or fallen. This is a hard word to preach, right? Paul is concerned with this man's sin, but even more so, he's concerned with the attitude of the church towards it. Gordon Fee, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, says this, The death of Christ should have made a difference in their lives. Christ has died for us, not to simply give us passage to heaven, but to recreate in us, his image, so that both individually and corporately we may express the character of God by the way we live in a world whose behavior is polished nice but lacks purity and truth. Mm. Some commentaries argue that Paul is really concerned with people's behavior. That, that we could get a real legalistic view of Paul if we look at Paul that way. But I think it's deeper than that. Paul is saying the Christian life isn't about behaving better. It isn't about being better people or acting nicer or being more friendly or, or doing less bad stuff. It's not about, you know, not cursing as much, dropping less F-bombs than your non-Christian friends, or, or about getting drunk, or not having sex outside of, it, outside, of, outside of his boundaries. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. He, the, at the heart of it all, he's saying, we as believers are the church. We're the temple of God. And what does that mean? That God dwells in us. Listen, I, I know this is not going to make a lot of friends, or, or, but God dwells in us. Christ with us, Christ in us. Jesus came in the flesh. It was an incarnational ministry, incarnational from, from Latin, incarne, in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. If the kingdom of God is not about talk, and it's not about words, and it's not about sermons or worship songs, it's about power, it's about action, it's about living an empowered life. Now that we found love, what are we going to do with it? Woo! If Christ is in us, we should act differently. It should show. We should already know. We should grow. It, see, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian a little while. It should start to show. Amen? I'll give you a picture. When a woman's pregnant, there's a new life in her. That's, that's the picture of a Christian. There's a new life in her. What happens? The longer she's pregnant the more it starts to show. Oh, I love this picture. See, the, the, after a few months, the, the new life starts to grow, doesn't it? Woo! I praise God for Christians with stretch marks. <laughs> after this new life, 
this, this new life, it, it starts to grow and it starts to change the way she looks. Right? All the pregnant ladies. It starts to change the way she walks. Doesn't it, right? You seen an eight-month-old, an eight-month pregnant woman walking? She don't walk like she used to walk, right? Things are different. She's going side to side now, right? I'm not making fun, but you understand. Please get the picture. Get the picture. You can beat me up later. But get the picture because it's a beautiful picture. There's a new life inside of her and it's starting to change the way she walks. It's starting to change the way she looks. It's starting to affect, it's starting to affect the things that she eats. Some things she can't keep down anymore. High five. It affects the things she eats. It affects the things she puts in. This new life, it should affect the way she treats herself. More importantly, and the most importantly, this new life should eventually give birth. I have never met a pregnant woman that's been pregnant for two or three years. Eventually, this thing has to give birth. Amen? Eventually, this new life creates life. It becomes new. It's a new thing. Amen? How is it that we can live and breathe and call ourselves Christians for years and years and years and never give birth to anything? Never give birth to forgiveness, to grace, to love. Never give birth to that stuff. Still walk around tight all the time. Why? Because you're pregnant for six years. Drop it already. <laughs> That's not natural. Let the new life go in you. Change. If it means you got to change your change it. If it means you got to be different, be different. Hey, you look ridiculous already, pregnant for 11 years. Let it go. Why is it that, that, that we think it's okay to continue and not, right? If we found this new love in it, right? Now that we found this thing, what are we going to do with it? So what's, so, so maybe what's stopping us? What's, what's stopping? And, and this is what we need to examine. This is where we come to examination right now. Pastor G, come, come. We're going to do something. And those that are helping me, come. <coughs> Perhaps because we've allowed too much of the old leaven to get mixed into the new batch. Maybe we've allowed too much. Maybe, maybe we, we compromise too much. Maybe we, there's things that we know we need to and we haven't. Maybe there's situations that we, and we haven't. There's lifestyles and we haven't. There's relationships and we, and we haven't. Because, because sometimes, you know, removing the old leaven from it, the, the little bit, the little bit. And, and so Paul is drawing from his Jewish background and, and explaining it with leaven and bread. And I want, I wanted Pastor Gary to explain this, this, um, this feast that they have and explain where he's getting this from. Go ahead, go ahead, G. It's funny you mentioned the self-help section in Barnes and Noble. 
Because I went there yesterday, I asked the sales lady if she could show me where the self-help books are. She said if I did that, I'd be defeating the purpose. <laughs> but Oh, man. Right there. Oh, man. That, that's right here in your notes. No, oh, man. Right no, it ain't. <laughs> no? Well, anyway, for those... A lot of you were here on Good Friday when we went through the Passover, which is the Old Testament celebration of God bringing freedom to His people. His people were slaves in Egypt, and God set them free. And one of the things He commanded them to do as a celebration of their freedom is every year on that day to take bread and to make it without yeast. You know what yeast is, or baking soda, or leaven? It's what causes the bread to rise. That's why Jewish people, you see them eating that real flat bread called matzah, because it didn't rise because it has no yeast in it. And that flat bread without any yeast is a picture of the Christian life, because Paul says here, that yeast is a picture of sin. It's a picture of pride. Why yeast? Why is that a picture? Because all you need is a little bit if you're baking. Do we have anyone here who bakes? Well, do you have to put a lot of baking soda in the dough? Just a little bit and the whole lump will rise and it's the same thing with sin because that loaf, that dough is a picture of your life and just a little bit. If you just say, well, I'm not that bad. I just get drunk once in a while. I'm not like those people out there. Just every now and then I go party, get drunk. You know what that scripture means? That all you got to do is in five minutes you get drunk and you just tore down 30 years of something you just built. You could destroy a marriage. You can destroy a church in two minutes. If you say, well, just a little bit. God understands. I got to have some fun. He knows, yeah, I'm married. But just once in a while, I gotta go play around, you know, but God knows I'm faithful the rest of the time. And that's why the picture here is of leaven. God's saying we have to be ruthless against sin. We can't tolerate a little bit. We gotta be faithful to Him. 24 hours a day, and even though no, no one's gonna do it perfectly, and I'm the last one to tell you that I'm perfect at this. It's not about doing it per perfectly, it's about your attitude. We wanna be faithful to God in everything that we do. Let, let me give you an illustration of this. What would it be like if on the wedding day, the bride came to the bridegroom and says, I'm going to be faithful to you 364 days a year. I'm just going to cheat on you one day a year. How many of you men would take that deal? Well, what does that do to the heart of God? When we say, 
It's okay. Just a little bit. Just a little bit messing around. Just a little bit of wild partying just to let the steam off. Just that little bit will begin to affect every area of your life. And it's the same thing in the church. Why does it say to get rid of the people who are living in sin? Why not just leave them there, let them alone? You know why? Because all you need is a couple of people in the church. All you need is one who's living in, in that kind of crazy sin, and sooner or later it becomes contagious. Do you know all you need is one person who, who's cheating on his wife, and before you know it, that little bit of yeast, that little bit of leaven begins to spread, and the next thing you know, all of a sudden marriages are breaking up all over the church, because what you do as a Christian affects everybody else. You know what the Jewish people do every year on the Passover? They're not allowed to have even a little bit of bread or cake that's made with leaven. So they take a flashlight and they go to the house to see even if there's some crumbs. Maybe, maybe I left over a little crumb on the floor. And you know what that's symbolic of? Because the flashlight is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And what God is saying, you need to take time and look in your heart and see if there's just a little bit of rebellion, just a little bit of lust, just a little bit of unfaithfulness, and get rid of it. Otherwise, little by little by little, it's going to take hold until you don't even want to come to church anymore. Until you're ashamed to stand before God. So, so we're going to begin to pass out the communion right now. But as they pass it out, you can go. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to take a couple of minutes... And just begin to examine your heart. Examine your life. Say, God, if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you, Father, I repent. So we're just going to have a few moments just to... You could begin to worship. But I want you to take this time with God. See, I don't want to know you a year from now and hear that you don't serve God anymore because you tolerated just a little bit of junk in your life. It'll permeate. It'll take you out. So just just take this time between you and God. Say, God, if there's any wicked way in me, anything not pleasing to you, I give it to you.